Hello and welcome to another episode of Cranky Talk, a show for avgeeks and non-avgeeks alike. We tackle anything related to airlines and sometimes beyond, and this week, Dave, we're talking about fume events. So, to be clear, these are the issues that uh, flight crews report due to something toxic getting into the airflow and not what happens after your seatmate brings Chipotle on board. That is... (laughs) I should really read these ahead of time. (laughs) Oh, man. No, you shouldn't. It's much better. But yes, this is a very important distinction. We cannot help you with that. Uh... We are talking about the events that actually cause medical problems, according to some, and may not exist, according to others. That is quite the spread of opinions. Yes, it is, and that's why we're talking about it. But uh, we'll get into that after our brief sponsor break. I want to thank our sponsor, MedJet, the membership service that protects you if you get sick or injured while traveling. They also offer travel security through their MedJet Horizon product. We'll talk a bit more about them later on. Okay, so before we get into whether this is real or not, can you start by explaining what a fume event is? You don't know, Dave? I thought you were cool. Uh. All right, fine, (laughs) let's do that. But uh, to do that, we we do have to go back and explain how pressurization and airflow works on an airplane. Every single time. (laughs) I love to go back. Listen, context matters, all right? (laughs) <laughs> so, look, have you ever tried to breathe at 36,000 feet outside of an airplane? No, I am not Tom Cruise. You're not Tom Cruise. But, well, it's not clear that he's human anyway. So, uh, yeah. But even he hasn't uh, tried to do that at 36,000 feet as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, okay, so maybe 15,000 feet or whatever. And and I know I, I do have this distinct memory as a child of uh, being at the top of the Klein Matterhorn in Switzerland, which is just over 12,000 feet up. And, you know, being a kid with my brother, I naturally uh, tried to karate kick him, and uh, I suffered for it. (laughs) (laughs) His air pressure goes down the higher you get, um, and that means that there's just not enough oxygen uh, in, like, compressed in that area for the body to do what it normally does. Uh, and so the higher the altitude, the lower the air pressure. And at some point, there's just not enough concentration of the elements we need for the body to properly take it in and survive. And then I wouldn't even be able to karate <laughs> kick my brother, which would be really sad. So, you know, th- this wasn't a problem in the early days of flying. Like the prop planes, you know, they were flying low and slow. But now we go higher and higher with jets. Uh, we had to figure out how, to, how do we make this breathable? <laughs> that stands to reason. Yeah. So the aircraft and the engine manufacturers, they actually got pretty clever with this, I would say. They created a plan that uses something called bleed air. Uh, I'd like to go on the record as saying that I don't want anyone bleeding in my air. I will second that motion. Uh, but as I'm sure you know, Dave, that's not what that means. Obviously. <laughs> right. But the idea is really simple. So uh, for jet engines to work, air gets sucked in through the front into the compressor stage, uh, which that is where the air is compressed. (laughs) (laughs) So, So once it gets compressed, then it gets shot through the engine, mixed with fuel, you know, voila, you have propulsion, all that. But 
before the air goes into the engine and after it passes through the compressor, most airplanes bleed off that air. Ah, uh, see, now I, I can see where that came from. Right. <laughs> so it bleeds off and then it's cooled because if you tried to breathe what just went through the engine, <laughs> you would fry. Uh, and then it gets uh, routed into the cabin after it's cooled for people to breathe. Then it gets dirty, pushed out, new air comes in, the circle of life. All right, so that actually does technically make sense, but I don't think uh, anyone has used that term uh, for this before. The circle of life? Well, maybe <laughs> yeah. not. But it is true, because without air, it's not going to be much of a life circle. It's going to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> On most airplanes. Sure, most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the the most popular airplane that doesn't use bleed air is the uh, Boeing 787, uh -huh. the Dreamliner there. Uh, that actually uses a separate electric system that brings air in, which is unrelated to the engines. But the idea is still the same. All right. Well, thanks for the really long and boring explanation. But uh, how does a fume event happen? Yeah, well, let's talk about that after the break. Dave. Like we covered in our last episode, in addition to COVID, travel security has become, shall we say, a bigger concern. Sure, like when a war breaks out or something. Yep, that's a thing that can apparently happen. Uh, but, you know, at least it makes us not think about COVID. Uh, but BA5 now, well, you know, we'll start talking about that one again, too. Yeah, that's very stressful, and I don't want to think about that. And you're not even going to Canada. Nope. Uh, but but everyone is stressed. <laughs> this is why our sponsor MedJet offers such a great product. Whether your top concern while traveling is health or safety, MedJet has air medical transport and travel security memberships to help you if the worst should happen. Well, maybe not the worst. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, travel insurance is important, but add a MedJet membership for the ultimate peace of mind. I think of MedJet as the best case scenario for the worst case scenario. Yes, it's a good way to put it. It's like having a get me out of here membership when you really need it. You can learn more and become a member at medjet.com slash cranky flyer. So, fume events. All right, the idea here is that somehow the air gets contaminated with the chemical before it gets pushed into the cabin. And then once it goes into the cabin, it spreads that chemical around and is said to make everyone sick. Okay, so you say the air somehow gets contaminated. Does that mean people don't know? Well, no, not really. The belief is that it's either engine oil or hydraulic fluid gets mixed into the air before it's pulled off as bleed air from the engine. But, like, I've seen some places where people say that can't happen because the air isn't going into the combustion chamber until after it gets pulled off as bleed air. So they're saying like it, it couldn't work, but I mean, it, it, clearly something is happening here. Hmm. I've seen plenty of news articles about it, including a pretty recent LA times piece that looked into this. It seems pretty real to me. Yeah, I agree completely. Something is obviously happening. And, and you know, whether it's hydraulic fluid, engine oil, whatever it might be, like it, it's amazing to me to see such a stark difference of opinion from different places. Mm. Um, the airlines and aircraft manufacturers largely seem to blow it off. Uh, aircraft manufacturers more than the airlines, <laughs> obviously. Um, you know, I think the airlines try to walk a fine line saying it is something, but it's not as bad as others may suggest it is. And, you know, we, we we tried to get someone from an airline to come on and talk, but they, they wouldn't go on the, on the record for it. So, 
uh, it's definitely a sensitive topic, but uh, you know, so is it a big deal or is it not? Like this is the million dollar question here. Yeah, no surprise there that airlines and aircraft manufacturers are uh, not going to want to talk about this until they're forced to. So who's right? There's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, well, um, yeah. Well, okay. Let, <laughs> let's see what we do know here. So first, the LA Times piece you mentioned, which we'll put in the show notes, uh, that says that in 2018 and 2019, there were 362 fume events reported to NASA. And why is this being reported to NASA? Because space. No. <laughs> NASA doesn't just have space in the name, remember? It's also aeronautics. And NASA's actually had a, a long history. They've had this pilot reporting tool that allows people to report issues uh, without a fear of repercussions. Uh, so the problem is, though, that there's no requirement to report this. So it's all <laughs> voluntary. And that means probably most minor incidents are just going unreported. Uh, that doesn't really help us understand the full scale. All right. Well, that seems like something the FAA should be doing. <laughs> yeah, you know, that might make sense. But nope. Uh, I mean, uh, the FAA was supposed to. But best I can tell, it apparently doesn't track it. Uh -huh. um, it, it could also make this much easier if it wanted to require some sort of sensor to measure air quality. But that seems to be a no-go. Um, airlines manufacturers don't love that plan. It could open them up to liability. So you know how that goes. Yeah. Gee, proof that something is wrong. Go figure. Maybe they should be liable. Maybe, but it's still, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around how bad this is. Cause like a study from a few years back, which uh, we'll put that one in the show notes too, uh, says it happens on around one in 5,000 flights. But I assume that's just some level of contamination and not something horribly dangerous. But then again, we just don't really know. All right. Well, speaking of sensors, so the uh, after the LA Times investigation, the good people of the U.S. Congress got involved. So what's going on there? Good people, huh? Okay. <laughs> uh, well, as is often the case, someone in Congress has tried to take this up, but surprise, nothing has happened. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal propose a bill that would do something about this. Wow, you sound so hopeful. Yeah, well, this bill, which <laughs> we'll put that link in the show notes. We're going to have crowded show notes today. Mm -hmm. um, it would do a few things. Uh, first, it includes some pretty vague language that would require, quote, flight attendants, pilots, aircraft maintenance technicians, and airport first responders and emergency response teams to receive training, not less frequently than annually, on how to respond to incidents on board aircraft involving smoke or fumes. Okay. Training. Yeah, basically they're saying the FAA needs to come up with some kind of training within 180 <laughs> days of the bill's passage so that all those people I just listed know how to recognize the presence of the, quote, presence of engine oil and hydraulic fluid fumes and other potentially hazardous fumes, end quote. <laughs> but the problem here is that a lot of the time these fumes, whenever these events do happen, are undetectable by smell. <laughs> you, you've got to laugh. Um, <sighs> all right, so, so that part to me seems pretty useless. Yeah, and the next part's a little more interesting. Um, the bill would force the FAA to create a standardized reporting structure for fume events. So this would solve the problem of no one knowing when or how to report this stuff. But the part of the bill that would have the most significant impact is that it would require airplanes to have sensors on board. Yay. And these sensors would, quote, alert the pilot and flight attendants to poor air quality that is dangerous to human health. 
Okay, so that seems reasonable to me. Who wants this to happen and who wants to fight it? I wonder who. <laughs> well, the unions representing the pilots, flight attendants, and mechanics are all behind it, right. which, you know, makes sense. It's protecting the health of their members. Um, so far, Boeing and other airplane manufacturers have said little about it, uh, but, you know, I'm pretty sure we know where they stand. Uh, right. they, so they, they just maintain that the cabin air is safe, so there doesn't appear to be a fight. This is just something that will get lost in the general DC machinery like everything else. All right. Great. Uh, so we know that sometimes contamination makes it into the cabin and sometimes it can have sometimes it can have an impact on people. Yeah, that does seem to be the case. There are deniers on one side and alarmists on the other, and it's really hard to get to the bottom of this without a study that actually uses data that sensors on airplanes could provide. That's right. just not a thing. So I should never fly again? Easy, Tiger. That's going to fall in the alarmist category. I think for most passengers, it's entirely safe. If you do have a fume event, it may be something that's not harmful, like de-icing fluid on a wintry day. Um, even if it's more than that, it's not likely to do lasting damage if you're just a passenger. But if you work in an airplane, then it would probably be more concerning. Why? If it hurts one, it hurts all, right? Well, the issue seems to be more about like what happens with repeated exposures. Like, could there be long-term health issues? Some people say there is. There's a documentary uh, by a former pilot called Everybody Flies that talks about it. Uh, and there's aerotoxic.org, which focuses on what non-medical people have deemed aerotoxic syndrome that they think should be legally recognized. Uh, I like solid conclusions, but it doesn't seem like we're going to get to one. <laughs> Yeah, not today, unfortunately, but uh, maybe someday when sensors exist. Nah, maybe. Never mind. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Cranky Talk. We'll be back with more deep dives and helpful tips for these turbulent times. And thank you to MedJet for being our sponsor. And if you'd like to sponsor Cranky Talk, let us know. Email us at advertise at crankyflyer.com. And please remember to leave us a five-star rating. This helps others find our podcast. Please. Please. Dave's, <laughs> Dave's begging you. <laughs> if you have suggestions for what you'd like us to cover in a future show, tell us. This isn't hard. Just email us at info at crankyconcierge.com. <laughs> <laughs>